0: Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Tuesday, March 24th. Uh, we have a great guest, as we always do, but today it's uh, Jimmy poppus who is the author of uh, this spring's chapbook, uh, "Falling Off the Empire State Building." We're going to be joining him in just a second, but first, a little housekeeping. Um, we're doing it a little different now. I got my new computer finally, which is exciting, and. Um, now we get to live stream simultaneously on Facebook and YouTube, which is really nice. So welcome to everybody who's actually watching live on on Facebook for the first time. Uh, we also have a new um, open mic show that we're debuting. Uh, we debuted it on Sunday. Uh, every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, we're doing a Poet Respond open mic where everybody can share poems for um, that they submitted to Rattle's Poet Spawn that week. I can only pick one or two poems every week. And uh, we've been getting slammed. Actually, let me show you. I have... um, I can put this up on screen, I think. Because I was just... I was wondering how many we've been getting. Um, Here, check this out. This is... uh, So this is the Poet Respond Submissions on Submittable from uh, starting in January 1st through uh, yesterday. And the normal was like 100, 250, maybe 200 every every week. And then as soon as we got quarantined... Look at this. This looks like a... um, Coronavirus diagnoses here. We're up to 200 a day. Um, So, uh, so last week we had uh, 800 submissions for um, Poets Respond, and um, I'm trying to, you know, for forever I've always um, just loved the experience of reading Poets Respond poems every week and learning about news stories. You know, because I don't, I don't really watch the news, uh, so I get to see see about current events for the first time uh, every time we do Poets Respond. so I sit there in that couch behind me and read poem after poem. And um, it's a really fun experience. Like, I love getting to learn about the world through poetry and, and see things that I missed. And I always felt bad that I couldn't um, publish more than one or two poems every week. So now this is a way to share the whole richness of what, what we've been getting for Poetry Response. So that's it's a lot of fun. That's on Sundays. Now, as everybody comes in, let's do our um, warm-up poem. And... Um, this is a uh, I always click the random button and play a little poem to get the ball rolling and uh, this time it came up with the glance by Jennifer Givhan. So uh, here's Jennifer Givhan reading the glance.
1: The glance. Through window, through curtains wide, through singing after shower, through racial lines and statutory laws through landscape pebbles off the complex path through morning's rituals before the sun could rise through glass pane while i dreamt in our bed while our plump brown baby slept in his slatted crib through slanted white light through window on your way to work you heard a song you heard a sweet song and turned your head toward the naked girl when the police knocked on our door when the police came to our door let me rephrase that when the police They claimed you climbed on a rock. They claimed it was a shower, the white girl's white mother. They claimed the window was the showers and the window eight feet high. They claimed you carried ladders or were made of stilts or could form pebbles into whole rocks for climbing. They made signs they posted on our door. They made signs for better watch our backs. They made signs for night watch, for on guard, for dark man with afro. After we'd moved away, after we'd hired a lawyer and the case was dropped for lack of evidence, after there was no rock. After we'd climbed the jagged edges of any safe space we could in Koreatown, where I daily pushed our baby stroller through the apartment's garden with koi ponds past doorways that smelled of boiled fish, and our baby learned to name the things he saw. Nice tree, the oak with gall. The spindle wasp gall that leaves had formed like scar tissue around the wound, where insect larvae were eating their way through. The window of a neighbor's home, I looked up and watched a round man from the shower, letting towel slip. I couldn't look away from this strange, intoxicating body in front of me. We know nothing happened after that. I took our boy home. I cooked us all dinner. We shut the blinds.
0: And that was Jennifer Givehan uh, reading her poem, The Glance. From Rattle number 50, it was a Rattle Poetry Prize finalist. Jennifer Givehan is a Mexican-American writer and activist from the southwestern desert. She's the author of four full-length collections of poetry now, most recently, "Roses Einstein from Camino del Sol poetry series just last year. You can find her at jennifergivehan.com. That's Jennifer com. Um, and now let's uh bring in Jimmy Poppus. Um Jimmy Poppas is the author of this chapbook, like i mentioned. Um, falling Off the Empire State Building. Um, which came to every subscriber. So you've probably already read this book if you're a Rattle subscriber. Um it was the one of the three winners of last year's Rattle Chetbook Prize. Um Jimmy Poppas is uh He served during the Vietnam War as an English language instructor training South Vietnamese soldiers. He received a BA in English at Bridgewater State University and an MA in English literature from Riviera University. His poems have been published in over 80 journals. Uh, The poem Bobby's Story, which we'll see, he's going to read, I think, a shorter version of Bobby's Story. It's a long poem. It was winner of the 2017 Rattle Poetry Prize Reader's Choice Award. So this is twice that Bobby, I mean Jimmy, has uh, won um, two of our biggest prizes. Uh, Other poems about veterans are included in Jimmy's first book, Scream Wounds, which just came out last year from A15 Press. Uh, He's also the vice president of the Poetry Society of New Hampshire and lives with his wife, Barbara, in the small town of Chichester, New Hampshire, where they enjoy the state's vibrant poetry culture. And um, here he is, Jimmy Pabas. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing?
2: Good. Thanks, Tim.
0: Yeah, it's great to see you. And thanks so much for joining us. Um, You know, I should say, it's nice to see you for the first time in person, but you are the... Record holder for um most most uh tears I think that you've generated um in rattle i mean the the bobby story and uh, and this chat book are just such um you know t- just moving kind of tear jerker type poems um so it's really cool to see you in person, and I hope you don't make me cry today. <laughs> Well,
2: I hope I don't, too. I've been practicing. You know, I've been reading. You know, when I read uh, Fallen Off the Empire State Building, I'll be crying to myself and blowing my nose. And it's like, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: but I think I practice so much. I think I should do better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's no. <laughs> I may be.
2: Yeah. The person I cry. Yeah, so.
0: Well, there's no shame in that. And we really do. Like, we kind of joke about this sometimes, but we have a rule in our uh, editorial meetings that if anybody laughs out loud, uncontrollably or cries, uh, we just accept mm-hmm. that poem automatically. Because if you have an emotional reaction, that's what you want to do. With a poem, so don't worry about that. Um, uh, well, you want to start us out with a with a poem? Yes,
2: invitation on page seven. Okay. Invitation. I have just picked black raspberries in the rain. I pop them in my mouth right off the branches and let the small water droplets dissolve on my tongue. Now I have made pancakes with all organic ingredients. Fresh eggs and non-fat milk from a local farmer. Cinnamon, cloves, vanilla, nutmeg, and ginger. Blueberries I picked myself. Peach applesauce from Vermont. I topped them off with maple syrup that is so expensive, I am the only one allowed to pour it so as not to waste any. We can sprinkle black raspberries over it all.
0: Take a seat.
2: I have a plate for each of you.
0: And that was in- Invitation uh, from Jimmy Pappas' this new chapbook from Rattle, Falling Off the Empire State Building. That's actually the little poem that's on the back cover because I hate blurbs. So we just put a little poem in the back or an excerpt from a poem. Um,
2: that was a great idea, I thought, putting it on the back
0: cover. I yeah, I just, I, I I I read those blurbs and I think, um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to say what I think, but I just think that they're ridiculous. But a poem, you know, an excerpt from a poem is really helpful. So that's what I like to do with these chapbooks. Um do you want to talk a little bit? I'm I'm kinda of curious about your your history and how you got into poetry. Um I know you're you're a Vietnam veteran. You taught English um to South Vietnamese soldiers during the Vietnam War. Um right. how, how did you get into poetry though? Um was it was well, it that a, old? Did you start I back was, then?
2: I was an English teacher in high school and I taught a poetry writing class for many years and we used to I always had my students publish their own little chapbook. That was a final exam, publishing a chapbook. Actually, one of the requirements was an invitation poem like this. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, this is a new one. I, I had some un- ones I wrote back in the day for them, but um, it doesn't match up. But I really love this one here. This is my favorite. So they all had to do a poem a day. And then they pick their best ones and put it into a, a book. And, and I was writing along with them. But it really wasn't until after I retired that I had this sudden burst of energy and in about a seven or eight year period, I wrote about 400 poems Um, and I got involved in the poetry society of New Hampshire and other poets uh, with them and in some secret groups online. Uh, And it just, you know, I just exploded with poetry for for all those years. My original intent was to write a philosophy book Hmm. when I retired. Um, There's a story I told today with a poem that was published on Rattle about my dad. When my dad was uh, dying, he had Parkinson's disease, and I was talking to him one day alone. And he was telling me this story about how uh, he always had this dream of creating mythology cards. They'd be like baseball cards that you'd sell to kids the way baseball cards were. And on the front, there might be a story like the Cyclops, say a picture. He'd draw the Cyclops. And you know, on the back, he'd write a story about it. And he's telling me this thing about mythology cards, and it was so important to him. And I could see he regretted never doing it, that he never finished accomplishing that task. And then I said, well, I always wanted to write a book and get it published. And uh, well, he said, make sure you do that. And I promised him I would do that. You know, He's not around to see the the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also lost his sister, who's mentioned in the book. She was my biggest supporter as well. And I wish the two of them could be here to see that I did finally get that dream done. You know, so.
0: Yeah, not just a book, but, but two books in one year, pretty much. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, David Cook, and I should say, if anybody has any questions for Jimmy, um, just leave them on the chat window on YouTube. I'm trying to look at the the Facebook uh, window too, so you can leave them there. Uh, but but YouTube's my primary source. And um, David Cook asks um, something that sort of relates. He says, "I'm always curious what influence you see your parents having on your poetry, which um, sort of inspired you to put the book together. But but what other, what other influences do you have, or do you think your parents had on on your poetry? I don't think
2: I, it, more of the stories are, are life together. But um, you know, reading. I, I wrote a story recently about my reading history, and." In my home, uh, my parents didn't read to me. Uh, You know, I didn't go to bed at night with a father reading me a story. That never happened. But what I did was, uh, they had a set of books, children's classics, in a bookcase, and the World Book Encyclopedia. And I read all those children's classics, and I would be reading the World Book Encyclopedia and studying the world. And uh, and that's really how I got started at reading, and not necessarily poetry, uh, but I get I liked literature. And eventually, I, I'd be in school. I'd be reading all the literature, but I, I could never share it with my friends because they didn't read it. They didn't like literature. You know, boys, we were more channeled into math classes. Mm-hmm. And there I was reading our anthologies. I'd read the whole anthology. You know, I, I couldn't wait to go home and read the things we, that weren't covered by the teacher. I just loved reading, and I'm not sure where that came mm-hmm. from.
0: Were your parents and Were your parents readers? Did they read a lot? No, mm-hmm. not really. It wasn't that input i mean a little
2: bit but not like that um my father i think would have liked me to be an engineer or be more involved in math uh, his, i have another s- little story once i was reading shakespeare in my room and my uh, a, a cousin saw me and she went and told my best friend and and the next day my friend went you read shakespeare just <laughs> like that and i well a little bit i don't know sometime. you know and uh because it was like something I, I hid away. I never, t- I could never go and share with friends until college. When I got to college, and I said, wow, there are other guys read literature. I can talk about literature. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but I had none of that in, in uh, high school with the kids I hung around with.
0: Hmm. Well, that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it felt the same way to me too. I uh, I really liked writing as a sort of a secret thing. And then you get to college, and there's actually creative writing classes, which is um, a lot of fun, right um, I don't know if you' were you planning on reading the wake up call? Is it on your list because David suggested you you read that? Sure. And while you start that, I forgot to turn the lights on, so I'm gonna sneak off and turn the lights on because it, it's it's light out now. <laughs> but um...
2: that's on page 12 and it's also from Poetry Breakfast I should mention that. Okay. That was actually my first published poem after I retired. The wake-up call, when it was time to wake me up to go fishing, he stood at the end of the bed and held my foot in his hands as if it were a piece of crystal, the way he must have done when I was a baby. But I was too tired to wake up and too young to understand how much he needed me to be his son. And that is also a uh, true story um, my dad, uh, my dad, uh, waking up to go, uh, waking me up to go fishing and I, I just didn't do it. And I always, re- and I remember that moment and I regretted it because I knew this is what fathers and sons should do. I should have just get out of bed and went with my dad fishing, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you want to read another one?
2: Sure. Okay. The gray man is on page 21. The Gray Man, part one, the visit. I visited my father one Saturday at the nursing home where we had put him against his will because he had become too much work for us. He who had worked hard all of his life, worked hard to make other people rich, richer than he could ever hope to be. He was a gray man now, like a character in an Igmar Bergman movie so I looked for the translation of what this all meant, but it got lost in the white sheets, and I tried to figure it all out by myself, but I too got lost in the white sheets that covered his sleeping body. I decided not to wake him, this gray man who had once been a stark man, who had once been a man filled with action and life, and I sat in a chair by his side, sat and looked down at my gray man, my gray child, I who had become the father, and he who had become the child, our role reversals making the movie even more complex, more difficult to translate. And I looked again at the white sheets and saw only white sheets that smelled of shit and piss. There were no English words, words that I could understand, words that could explain all of this. Words that could explain him, words that could explain me, words that could explain all of the things that have happened between us, words that could explain why we behave the way we did. Even Bergman was never fully understandable. Even his words got lost in white shirts and a white background. But at least he had words. At least there was an attempt at translation. Here, there was nothing. Only my gray man, my gray child, lying there, sleeping on his back, waiting for my arrival. Part two, an earlier incident. One day I approached the nurse at the desk. I'd like to take my dad out for an ice cream cone. The nurse responded, I'm sorry, but no. I'm worried about him. He could fall out of the car or get hurt in some way. For a few seconds, I could not speak. I wanted to say like Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry, go ahead, make my day. Tell me I can't take my father out for an ice cream. I wanted to say like Jack Nicholson in Five Easy Pieces, why don't we just take this sign out sheet and stuff it between your legs and I wanted to say, Like Clark Gable in Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm taking him out for an ice cream cone. But what I really wanted to say was, what's the worst that could happen to him? He could die? Look at him. He's dying now. It doesn't fucking matter. He just wants an ice cream cone with his son. Instead, I said nothing. I acted the way my gray man taught me to act. Respect authority and do what I'm told. So I did what I was told. Part three The gray man's arrival. There is something, something I want to tell you. No, I need to tell you about his arrival here. He did not want to come, he screamed when he arrived. He screamed when they put him in his room. He screamed and begged us to please not do this to him. But we, his children, did it anyway. Did it and turned our backs on him, both literally and figuratively. We turned our backs on this gray man. We left him there. And now I beg him, in my mind only, to forgive me. But that is not what I wanted to tell you about his arrival. What I wanted to tell you, what I really wanted to tell you, is that I, I was busy. So I was not there. No, not I. Part four, another earlier incident of little importance. I waited so long for this moment. I wanted to tell him that I loved him. So I waited and waited. And finally I said it, I love you dad. And he said, nothing. Part five, the grand finale. For my own selfish reasons, I did not wake him on my visit. I waited until he woke up on his own I sat there for almost an hour, reliving our lives together, while studying the sheets, and when he finally woke up, he smiled at me. My gray man smiled at me.
0: That was The Gray Man from Jimmy Pappas's, uh new chapbook that just came out from Rattle, and it was also the poem of the day, today on Rattle.com. Um, yeah, thanks so much for reading that, Jimmy. It's one of those poems before... Um, I guess I'd have to say before Trump, um, people always ask, you know, what is the topic people seem to be writing the most about? And um, there's this experience that so many people are dealing with right now because of the demographics and the way they spread of of taking care of their parents in old age and in nursing homes and all that. And um, that seems like one of the definitive poems to me uh, for for going through that experience that, that so many people are going through, you know, right now. Um, so thanks so much. Yes, and
2: they can even be beside uh, the bedside and now even yeah. too. They're, mm-hmm. they're saying hello from out the window and all.
0: Yeah. It's just, just heartbreaking for sure. Um, really? yeah. yeah. Uh, about that poem, uh, Judy Mortner, just before you even started reading it, she happened to mention, um, she says, was writing the gray man cathartic for you? It seemed, uh, you were able to express some of what it's like to lose a parent, a huge thing that's traumatic and hard to express. Was it cathartic?
2: Yes, I think so. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, I really like the poem. I I, I like long poems. Uh, I, I, in fact, I'm doing a workshop on long poems. Part one was really the poem itself at one time, but then I, I wanted to do more with it, you know, to say more. And so I, I added the other three parts and brought in that, you know, story about uh, trying to say I love you. Uh, you know, it, it's just not something... Uh, I, I did as a young man. I would not say, I love you. I don't say, I love you to my friends. There's a line in Bobby's story, the Vietnam poem, where some, and I'll, I'll read that later, but where somebody tells me, I know how much you love them. I don't say, I love you to my friends, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it really moved me. And uh, I couldn't read that when I tried reading that line in public I, a couple of times. I just couldn't, I, I'd always get emotional at that point. What, what a great way to express it to say, I love you to, to a friend. You know, there's so many different kinds of love, and uh, so that that whole idea of trying to say "I love you" to someone, I think, is very moving. Now, it's special for me. I I don't just toss it around, mm-hmm. and where I say some people maybe just say it all the time. To me, it's a special thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, um, doing a workshop on long poems. Um, right? Do you have any? You do write long poems, um, and really well. Do you have any advice? Um, somebody, uh, Emilio Puerto mentioned. Um, this has the flair of a short story or novel, this poem. And, uh, and Bobby's story is the same kind of way. Do you have any advice for people trying to write longer poems? That's something I've never personally been able to do. I sort of have a trajectory and like a momentum a poem has, and then it's like spent, and then it's a two pages at the most. Uh, what, what, do you, what advice do you have for writing long poems? Well,
2: uh, well, I think don't always be stuck in that one page. I think it was Stephen Dunn who said that, uh, I believe, a uh, if I get it right, uh, you know, he said he found himself only writing one page, one page and a half poems, and he w- wanted to go to a longer poem. One little tip, uh, it's very simple, and I'll take it away with him, is use sections. One, two, three, four, five. Think of 13 ways of looking at a blackbird, but don't do it like that. You know, have, Go into the past, into the future. Tell all those story here. Uh, combine maybe uh, some poems that based on the same topic. I think it's good to do a person if you want to write about your mom or your dad or grandmother, whatever, you know, a Vietnam veteran here like I did, uh, you know, those sections give a whole picture. And I think three things that define us are what we say, what we do, and what other people say about us. So that's in, in Bobby's story, a lot of that, what you say, what you do, what other people say about us. And then you're created you your there's a version of you that may not be the real version but out there people hear the name jimmy pappas and they have a version of who i am based on what i said what i've done what, what other people have told them about me
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's jimmy to them um so uh those are a couple of tips here the sections uh, past and present and future i i actually wrote out a list of uh five pages so far of tips on that. Hmm. I don't have it with me, but for for my work, and the workshop got canceled Mm -hmm. because of what's been happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so that was a New Hampshire, you know, Poetry Society workshop or or something like that?
2: Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was be free to any member of the Poetry Society. Yeah, yeah. If I could give another little tip, uh, sometimes I find uh, someone may have a passage and in that passage is this one line that's just not explained enough. Pull it out. And say a lot about that little thing, that small moment. Tell more about a small moment, mm-hmm. and that expands that part a little bit. And then there's all these unnecessary words. I think that maybe irrelated. It- and I found that in a few people's poems, where I was critiquing them. And so that's a tip I use, and I bring samples of poems where I saw mm-hmm. that, where I noticed that.
0: Yeah, those are good, good piece of, and you can see both of those you know, tips on taking place in Bobby's story and um, in The Gray Man too. Um Were you planning on reading um, the title poem, Falling Off the Empire State Building? Uh,
2: no, I thought you wanted me to only read the ones that weren't published.
0: Through, no, you so can read whatever haven't... you want. No, that was just for for, uh, for uh, a sharing online. But but Perfectly Kay asked, um, what does the poem uh, Falling Off the Empire State Building mean to you? And why did you choose that as the title of the chapbook? book?"
2: Well, I love the title. I'm very happy with my titles (laughs) on on the uh, book covers, you know, the uh, two books I have. Uh, It's just a great metaphor, I think. And uh, let me read the poem, and I can share a little bit about Uh, what I picked. Um, So that's page 14. Falling off the Empire State Building. I shared a story with my students about how construction workers would fall off the Empire State Building while another line of workers desperate for jobs waited to take their place. Until one day I learned it was all an urban legend. And I laughed thinking about all those young people passing down a lie and telling others, it must be true because my English teacher told me so. Then I thought about the day my father took me to the factory where he worked to demonstrate what he did every day. But I could only see this handsome man an artist whose signature swirled across a page like a lost Van Gogh painting, working as a tool and die maker, out of place with everyone in there. He would have been one of those workers who stood in line waiting for a job just to feed his family, then balancing on a metal beam high above the earth while trying desperately not to fall. I think of this as a working class book, so that idea of workers who would, you know, sacrifice their life or risk their life to do a job. And lots of workers do that. They work in coal mines and whatever, or they give up their, um, you know, in, in enjoyment in life to do a very hard job. They may not even care about just to feed their family. And, and my mom and dad worked hard to, to raise me. And, and, you know, also we should include, of course, uh, raising kids. For, for At those ages, it was often the mother. Um, but that hard work that people do. So I think of this as a working-class book geared to working-class readers, and most of it I think is pretty accessible and easy to understand for the most part, which I think is part of that. I'm glad that it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about is um, is your style, which is so accessible and straightforward, um, um, which is really the... I, I think of um, certain poets as sort of classic rattle poets, um, and you're one of those, which is you know, people like Tony Glogler, um, other people like that who tell stories really straight um, without a lot of flair and without a lot of, you know, like it's the story that, that matters and, um, and the, and the accessibility and the directness of it, the honesty. Um, is there a reason that you sort of have that style and, and are there favorite poets of yours that, that you sort of model that after?
2: I like the idea of celebrating life and, that, you know that uh, common expression show don't tell right advice for writers well sometimes people misunderstand that, that t- telling a fact is okay telling exactly what's happened the show part is then people can read that and judge for themselves about me my dad whatever a, vet, a vietnam veteran they're, they're making those determinations i'm not i try to keep uh, opinions out in Fewer adjectives and where uh, I, I describe something in that way, it's more the fact of the the motion, the verb, a picture in your mind so you can see it. And I, I love cutting it down to the bare essentials. I, I, one of the first poets I modeled on was Stephen Crane hmm. when I was young. I love Stephen Crane, he's not famous as a poet, uh, and I, I love his poetry. I recommend it to anybody out there. Go and read the poetry of Stephen
0: Crane. I, have you ever read Stephen Crane's poetry much? Um- not for a long time, but yeah, back you know back when I was exploring it, all, all the poets and, and not just reading submissions. <laughs>
2: yeah, he was one of the first that I, I that I modeled on. I also like to write different kinds of poetry, so I I have humor, other things. I think it's a challenge to keep writing different kinds of poetry. I also want to write more poems that don't make sense or that are very difficult and challenging.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes people put those down, and I don't. I think there are many kinds of poetry, and it's okay to do that and. I want to do some successful ones like that as well hmm. that really did not make much sense. But they, if you look at them, they they do. If you think about it a bit, I want to, you know, send some ideas out there through that difficult poem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, somebody had another question. Um, oh, Renee A. asked about the line lengths. How do you decide on line lengths? Which is something I noticed reading your your book too. There's a very, Specific reason that you do shorter lines occasionally. Um, but, but how do you decide on line lengths? What does that mean to you?
2: Well, I think uh, in the Vietnam veteran poems, I wanted to, it to be a little like a natural speech. We, When I'm talking to my uh, veteran friends, we often talk in short sentences and um, little bursts of phrases and all connected. So I, I, I like that. It felt more like natural speech. And and then I have my mini Jimmy poems, which are short poems, like Closed Coffin. I did that. You know, I I want to thank a lot of people that wrote to me and tried to find me. I'm not online very much. I'm not on (laughs) Facebook and all that. But they tried to reach out to me and tell them the poems that meant a lot to them. One lady said how she wanted to teach my poems in class online length. Hmm. That was her exact comment. She's doing And she asked if she could print some of my poems. I said, sure, go ahead. And it was great that she asked me. I I mean, she could have done it and I would have never known, but she did it the right way. So it it varies. And um, maybe I could show that, read that poem as an example of a a mini Jimmy poem, right, a very short poem. That's on page 19. Yeah, why
0: don't you read that? And then do you want to read maybe uh, Bobby's story to to get into that subject too?
2: Closed coffin. We cannot tell if we are at our mother's head or at her feet. Let us bow down. Now, there's a poem that was originally a long poem, more to the story. And then I cut it down just to that thing, a moment of, I don't know if this is her head or her feet. And and I'm saying farewell to my mom. And and we were going to have a discussion about it. (laughs) We didn't know what to do. It was almost going to be a humorous poem because I had this urge to laugh there before my mother's coughing as so we're bidding our final farewell. And uh, fortunately I didn't. And then I that let us bow down. I'm not sure where that came from, but when we kneeled there, I felt it was a, it was a bowing. It was a, a respect, a love for what she had done all her life for us, uh, raising us. And so it, it, I wanted to have that religious tone. So I cut it down to the bare essentials there
0: in that poem, mm-hmm. rather than the longer one that I originally had. How, how long was the original? out of curiosity was it? Well,
2: it, uh, this story about almost laughing and uh you know it, i would say it'd be a page two pages maybe mm-hmm. page and a half yeah,
0: yeah like that yeah it's interesting like the um, you know the ezra pound the, the petals and a wet black bow that, that used that yeah, was originally I... a page and a half too i think right um do you want to read uh right. Could I... oh, what's that yeah before i do, also like i was
2: mentioning uh comments i got from people here's a little I get a long letter from this one guy from Georgia. I just want to read you the last sentence but it's pretty cool. I think he he concludes with, "There is a truth, though, poetry travels. Yours has come to come my way, and I am very pleased to have it." Poetry travels,
0: mm-hmm. isn't that fine? That, that is, yeah.
2: And He yeah. wrote that card to me and sent it from Georgia. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's exactly what I always hope to hear. I mean, I hope poetry does travel, which is why why we do this. So it's really cool <laughs> to hear. Anytime you get you know feedback from people, um, that's just always the the greatest kind of you know reward.
2: Yeah, it's just a simple, nice gesture to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I also want to thank before everybody starts, I want to thank. Um, well, uh, Madeleine Matosian uh, did the drawings, and I wanted to thank her. She has a drawing of a wounded soldier. A scream wound is a wound that makes you want to scream. And when yeah. I heard that from a Marine, uh, and i that's my title poem in here, uh, I said, that's it. That's the metaphor for the Vietnam War. Yeah. A wound that makes me want to scream, makes me want to cry, really. Mm-hmm. this great sadness I feel for, uh, you know, as a teacher there, my students, uh, the soldiers, um, the people, the civilians I work with, uh, the families, uh, what they went through, uh, the collapse, what that must have been like, uh, the combat, the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I hope everything's okay there now. And, and I hope they made it out okay or survived okay. I know a lot of the people I trained probably went into re education camps. Uh, they were boat people. I know when I saw boat people, I know those are my friends there. Vietnamese friends on that boat. Mm-hmm. I knew that, and, and it, so it's a it's a wound that makes me want to scream or cry. For me, it'd be a crying wound.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
2: that is a great metaphor. And I love that title.
0: That is, yeah. I'm glad you said that because I I didn't get a chance to read that book. I don't have a copy, but um, I was wondering about what that that title meant to you. So thanks for sharing that. Um, and I keep thinking too about how, um being like a um like you know right now during the coronavirus outbreaks and stuff like that that being on the, a nurse or being a doctor on the front lines of a hospital must be a very similar experience
2: um oh, very much so yeah i mean they're heroes now really uh what they're doing they're really uh, you know everybody's noticing that Uh given their time risking their lives uh, um you know they're getting infected as well i, I know they don't well die but still they're they're in there in the front lines mm-hmm. dealing with this. So pretty incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, just really quick, perfectly. Kay says that she loves the book Scream Wounds. Um, so, so if anybody enjoyed um, um, the chat book, Falling Off the Empire State Building, make sure to pick up a copy of Scream Wounds as well. Um, if you like liked uh, Jimmy's poetry, you'll definitely like that too.
2: Bobby's story?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read that?
2: Yeah. Okay. Part one, Bobby, food. I was a jungle fighter. We had to eat cold food because we couldn't have fires or we would give away our location. I liked to eat snakes. They tasted pretty good. I ate insects, spiders, centipedes, grasshoppers, anything I could find to survive. Here's what I do. I take my pot, put in a centipede and lots of grasshoppers. Then I mash it all together, cover it with Tabasco sauce, close my eyes and pretend I was eating something else. The hot sauce took my mind off what I was doing. It was like eating Mexican food. Part three, Bobby, the jungle fighter. I fought in the Ashaw Valley, a site of the last major Marine operation of the entire war. So I made very few friends. I didn't need to think about crap like them dying on me. Sometimes I volunteered to support the doctors who did not carry guns. I kept lookout while this one medic helped a family in a village when a mortar shell landed right on a hooch, killing the whole family and the doctor. But I only got blown 20 feet down the road and couldn't do nothing to save them. I joined the Marines for all the right reasons. But when I came back, I was pissed off for quite a long while. People called me a baby killer. They thought they knew more about Vietnam than I did because of what they saw on TV. So I just took the insults and said, screw you, part seven, Bobby, the roofer. I went to the VA for help. The lady asked me what I could do. I told her, I got a fifth grade education. I fought in the jungles for the Marines. Then I spent 39 years as a roofer before I fell off a roof and broke my back. You tell me, what do you think I can do? Part 13. Bobby, Armani, the comfort dog. Armani's my friend, my only one. He's family to me. Look at him. He's got his head on my foot. You put on his vest and he becomes a comfort dog. He begins working. Take it off and he's a regular dog again. You know he can take clothes out of the dryer? Press buttons on the elevator for me? It's incredible what he can do. We even made him a member of the group. And he's a great chick magnet. Part 16. I receive a phone call about Bobby dying. I got some bad news I need to share. Bobby's in Boston at Brigham and Women's Hospital. His, his family's going, going in today, and the doctors are going to take him off life support. I know you loved him. That's why I called you personally to let you know. Part 17 The final words of Bobby Shuno. When I was having problems, my wife told me to either get help or get out. I love my wife, so I went to the VA to find assistance. One of the first guys I met was Bobby. He's the only guy who can say I love you to my wife. He used to help me pick up flowers for all of the veterans' funerals. This morning, the lady at the flower shop asked me, hey, where's your friend? I told her, these flowers are for him. Rest in peace, Bobby, and you know, I promised him before he died I'd make him famous in a poem. And I did it. <laughs> it was a, a risky promise. That,
0: that definitely was, but um, that's one of the most read poems uh, we've had, and and won the um, Reader's Choice Award. Um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. And for everybody, that was a, a truncated version of um, Bobby's story. To read the whole thing, just go to just type in rattle dot com and search for Bobby's story. It'll come right up, or, or Google it. Um, do you want to read another poem? I think we have "Scream Wounds, uh the title poem from your book. <laughs>
2: Moons would be yeah that would be good and this is in honor of uh, the soldiers who went out humping the boonies, in particular a marine who uh, uh, that I got this story from listening to him talking about this once and not only him but several other people are involved in this so uh, they what they had to do it's like that falling off the Empire State yeah. Building story It's just incredible
0: what what does it mean what does humping the boonies mean I, I heard you mention that before they're walking out in a walk, walking out in a jungle and looking for enemy soldiers to do
2: battle with. And then you set up ambushes, but sometimes you walk into their ambushes.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah,
2: I've never had to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to get it from them. And I can only, you know, imagine what that must have been like. And after I read this, so you'll see there's one part in here that I'll, I just want to put you in that spot and see what you, how you would feel mm-hmm. as a 19 or 20 year old kid. Yeah, okay? yeah
0: I can't even imagine.
2: Yeah. Scream wounds. See that guy over there? He's a hero. He saved four people from a minuet ambush and got shot four times doing it. What's a minuet ambush? Let me explain. First, you need to know there are four kinds of ambushes. There's a basic line ambush where you wait in a row for the enemy to approach you. Then there's the point ambush. The point man is out front. The ambush is set up high and low. If you're across from each other, you just end up shooting each other. The V.C. shoot a point man down low. In the knee is good. That's called a scream wound. I don't care how tough you are. When you get shot in the knee, you scream. Americans have this idea about no man left behind. So they rush to help out the wounded soldier screaming and they run right into an ambush. You know, they shoot one man and then get 10 others trying to rescue him. I had my point man carry a football mouthpiece with him. I told him to drop and roll if he got hit and bite on the mouthpiece to take the pain away. It confused a VC if there was no scream. But you got to go hide. I tell my man, we'll come and get you if we can. The third kind of ambush is an L ambush. It's shaped like the letter L. Here, I'll draw it for you in the dirt. The one chance you have in this one is to take out the machine gun at the point of the L. Now in a Minuet ambush, you take this L, flip it over and make a mirror image of the L on the other side, just like this. So what happens when you you go into this L here? You run to the opposite L, you see? It's like a dance. Everyone in it is dancing around because they're getting shot. That usually makes the total casualties. So that guy over there, he rescued four men from the Minuet ambush, and that's why he's a hero. Wow,
0: uh, that's a great poem. Um, and is that a shorter version too of that poem?
2: I yeah, I cut it down a mm-hmm. bit, um, but yeah, not too much. Yeah, yeah. So but the. The line I want to go back to is that um, football mouthpiece. Now, you're 20 years old. And I said, okay, Tim, you're going to be the point man today. You take this mouthpiece. And if you get wounded, you bite on it and roll and hide. And if we can, we'll come and rescue. And you'd probably do mm-hmm. it. I mean, that was the thing. We did what we were told. You do what you're told. when it's you're that young. It's just that I can't grasp that. No. You know? It's so incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. me neither. it's just so foreign to my world, you know, that and and so many people had were forced to go and and do that.
2: And do that. Yeah.
0: The other line that I love that that all of a sudden you say out of nowhere, sort of here, I'll draw it for you in the dirt, which which just from a craft standpoint puts you right in the moment. And you just live there, you know, with, you know, just hearing the story on another level, I think. Um, Yeah, it's a really powerful poem.
2: Yeah, I, I like that line in there, too. He he was drawing in the dirt for yeah, me too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you uh do you work with um with veteran poets too? Do you you know, do you do workshops and stuff like that?
2: No, I, I haven't done that. Uh I, I wouldn't mind doing it sometime, but uh I, I don't really know of um uh, any veteran poets right now that wanna write very mm-hmm. much so you know, haven't had a chance to do that. Yeah. So, but I would like to Yeah, um
0: yeah, so Kim Tedra says she remembers voting for Bobby's story <laughs> for the um, for the Reader's Choice Awards. You've got one of your voters here. That was <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, Thank her. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, 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 thanks, Kim. Um, let's see. Let's see if there's any. Now you have to, uh, multiple screens to check for questions. Um, yeah, Ellen McCarthy over on Facebook says regret is a common theme, a regret for what what wasn't done or said. Um, do you feel like poetry is a way to, to address regret? Is that is that one of the, the the things that poetry does?
2: It can. You know, when people use that word regret, I said, yeah, I guess there is regret here. Like I didn't wake up when my father was trying to wake me up to go fishing. Um, but uh, I didn't think of it as regret, but I guess it is. And yes, I think it's cathartic like someone asked before. Uh, and poetry is, a, yeah, absolutely a great way to to amend something that happened in the past okay i was wrong here's what i should have done but i was too young to know
0: mm-hmm.
2: or i was too stupid to know whatever the word is yeah, you know? yeah. And, and and you express it in in your poem mm-hmm. and i hope to never do it again Uh you not something about how we live forward but we learn backwards so we're learning from the past but you know hopefully we can correct it in the future that right? we're going forward that it's too late to Correct those mistakes. Yeah, um,
0: you mentioned I can't remember if it was before we went live or if it was during the show. But you mentioned you were a philosophy, um, you know, interested in writing a philosophy teacher. book. You were a philosophy teacher. Um, what right. What was your philosophy book going to be about? And are you still working on it?
2: Well, no, I, I gave up on that. It's more about teaching philosophy. I, I had a philosophy class in high school, and I know there'll be some of my students will be coming to this uh, video someday. I think, and they'll remember me and. That is the greatest accomplishment of my life. No doubt about it. And and that class was incredible. It was popular. We had fun. We learned. We talked. Um, I had like one rule. I'm never going to send anybody to the office. So (laughs) people are free to speak. Um, We we went over the history of philosophy. We had special days like, as an example, uh, we had man day. And then the next day we'd have woman day. And then we'd have Man and Woman Day. So on Man Day, all the boys went to the front and talked about what it was like to be a man. On Woman Day, all the, uh, the girls went to the front and talked about being a woman, the problems they face in life. And so I had these special days like that. They were just incredible. Um, so we had Swearing Day. where We talked about why people swear, <laughs> and no one swore. <laughs> I, and I, I would say, well, you know, I won't send you to the office, but who's going to get in trouble if you start saying a lot of swears and it gets out there, somebody's going to blame me, right? Mm-hmm. So... They didn't swear. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. They respected what I was letting them do. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and and they could all give give their opinions about swearing. I told them, go and listen. Why are people swearing? Why? What's the big deal? What are they doing out there? And why do they? Does that word have an effect on people?
0: Yeah, that's one you thing know, that that thing. poets never really talk about, and I'm always interested in too, because cause, you know, there's sort of a way that um, you know, very few words are more powerful than swear words, and 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 why do you think that is? And, and, and how does that relate to poetry? Cause I think it does in a strange way. I've never really put together in my mind.
2: Right. I don't
0: know when, when I
2: use swear words, I think I use them only because they fit what someone would actually say at that point. Uh, I don't use them uh, to be creative and uh, I, I'm okay with them. I don't, I do know that some people get upset. I've had people complain about rattle having some swear words <laughs> and, 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 and I, I have no problem. You know, I, you know, it's, the real world, uh, you know, I think so. I, I don't have a problem
0: with that. Yeah, yeah. We try to be poetry of the real world. Um, it's it's going back a little bit. But David Cook has another question uh, about Bobby's story. He says, in the longer version of Bobby's story, you don't shy away from some of his less likable traits, but we tear up when he right. dies. Uh, does the poet's eye help you to love the unlikable, obnoxious, and deplorable?
2: Well, I think. Uh, I wouldn't use those words, right? (laughs) but Bobby was my really good friend. I mean, he was a a great friend of mine and we were totally different people. Um, you know, he, he liked guns. I don't, you know, he was, uh, different than me. He didn't read literature. He didn't care about poetry. I I had a promise him there wouldn't be any rhyme. It wouldn't be like a, a real, um, you know, poor poem type poem, you know? And, and so I tried to do that, but I want to paint a complete picture of him, uh, in, uh, that all different sides. So what people say about us matters. And that creates a whole picture. But I loved it. He was my good friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go there and we sit together and talk every time there was a get-together. And we chat together. You know, I crossed a boundary the boundary and consider him one of my best friends. Yeah. yeah. I think that's cool.
0: <laughs> uh, well, we have a few more minutes left. Do you want to read one longer poem or two shorter poems, maybe? I don't know what you you have lined up. That you'd like to read,
2: uh, maybe I could go back to the falling off the Empire State Building sure, if you yeah. like, or... yeah,
0: whatever you want to do. It's totally, it's totally up to you. But however you want to finish it out.
2: Um, actually, I'm not sure. Now, I, let me try one that I haven't done. There, you Udemonia. Uh, sure. This one is a uh, another grandma, and uh, this one's a little lighter and more fun poem. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's called Udemonia, which means good demon. In Greek, it's a Greek word, and laughter was a good demon coming out of your body.
0: Oh, that's good to know.
2: You, David. Nana laughed in church today. She tilted her head back like a Bugs Bunny Pez dispenser and popped out gold fillings like little yellow lemon bricks of candy, chrysostone. She stuck out her tongue as if to capture droplets of water from the central dome. Her personal contact with the Almighty The priest halted in the middle of the liturgy. The chanter stopped chanting. The silence ended when the inri wood block at the top of Jesus's cross fell on the altar. Then icon saints tossed yellow beach ball halos out into the crowd to be tapped around. Father Vakalakis did the Jesus rap as he hip hopped down the central aisle. He opened the door for the March of the Azones who strutted through with a synchronized rifle toss to the delight of the cheering congregation. The soldiers lined up at the front of the church, arms around each other, and kicked their legs up in perfect unison, displaying white undergarments to the cries of and Lord have mercy, more, more!" Strobe lights whirled; the widow's black clothing turned into rainbows. Everywhere was God, God, God. All of that, <laughs> just to express my my Nana laughing in church. She had this laugh. that was an unbelievably loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, it, it was just a roar and she'd laugh anywhere. And she had 11 boys, two died young, right? I had my, uh, there were nine. I had a father and eight uncles, all boys. And, and I asked somebody about 11 boys once and they told me, well, actually it might've been between 11 and 15. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It might've been some miscarriages or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, uh, um and always happy just enjoyed life what an inspiration she was
0: yeah that because it really that. is that 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 generation uh, you know that, that lived through the great depression and all that stuff just in my experience everybody has su- such a joy um about life and in, in a in a sense of um what's important and in, in, in sense of what we have that we you know tend to take for granted otherwise um so yeah i, I love that poem thanks for sharing that jimmy
2: yeah that one that was a little award winner at a, a local uh Um, Poetry Society contest so that was cool
0: yeah yeah well uh, thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing your work Jimmy it's it's great to meet you in person finally after a couple years of um, you being an award winner with Rattle so uh, good to see you in person
2: good to see you and uh, thank you to everybody that wrote to me and said some nice comments I really appreciate all that
0: well well, thanks Jimmy have a great night and uh, stay safe okay bye now that was Jimmy Pappas uh, with his book from um, uh, the spring mailing of Rattle, uh, falling off the Empire State Building. Um, hope you enjoyed that, and if you do, pick uh, a copy of uh, Scream Wounds as well. Uh, there's a link, I think, in the in the notes below uh, where you can find that on Amazon. Now, um, I was I meant to say, and I sort of forgot one of the one of the housekeeping things I wanted to say is that we're not going to be doing a uh, regular open mic anymore. Um, we're just going to focus on the prompt poems and then have the poets respond open mic on Sundays. this be like the last um, episode for a truly open mic. So, um, and last week's prompt was a girl lying next to the radio, a radio. In 1932, the suggestion was a sonnet. Now, once again, I didn't have a chance to write a poem. I'm kind of going crazy trying to read submissions here. I have, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, there usually there's maybe 100 or 200 poet response submissions. I have 800 a week that we're going through right now. And I have to, I, you know, I read them all, which is a pleasure. Don't get me wrong. But um, that takes up a lot of time. And then I also have, um, I'm reading through the uh, next year's, or this year's Chapbook Prize submissions and we have to announce the winners on april 15th so i'm reading chapbooks like all day i don't have time to write poems i'm sorry as much as i would love to be writing uh and and hopefully soon i'll get back to being um engaged with these prompts but um so last week's prompt was a girl lying next to the radio in 1932 and here was megan's poem drawing pictures over the radio she's got a long epigram because she wanted to make me read it um she also wanted to say too which you should never introduce a poem like this but uh she said that she um wants everybody to know that she's going crazy as well because she's now a homeschool parent because we have no school we have uh, our kids are five and nine so um in addition to helping me out with rattle as the assistant editor um she's also learning how to be a homeschooling parent and, and giving the kids homework and having the kids around all day every day so it's really hard for her to write Um, and, um, we're just, it's tough times and it's tough times for everybody, but it's tough times for us too, but we're, we're having fun with it and I hope you are too. So here's Megan's poem, uh, drawing pictures over the radio with the long epigram that she's making me read. Thousands of radio listeners are joining in on the fun of the latest broadcast novelty drawing pictures over the radio. The artist in the studio sketches his model in front of the microphone, making the drawing on a chart ruled off into many squares. Radio listeners provide themselves with a similar chart, and when the artist announces that the line he is drawing passes through a certain numbered square, his audience duplicates the line on its own charts. That's from an article from Modern Mechanics, 1932. And uh, here's the poem. A little sonnet from Megan. Pencils against paper makes a hum that floats inside a static sea. Her own between index and thumb. The man clears his throat, says 3B. She begins to map the profile of a woman who might not exist. She traces the odd shape of her smile, puckered as if to be kissed. The nose is right, a perfect incline, but the chin is profound. My flaw or hers? She wonders. Her eyes look like mine. The man calls the last numbers. She looks down at what she's created, a foreign language loosely translated. That was Megan's prompt. Once again, she writes a good poem because she is a good poet. What can you say? We have two other good poems, too. Um, Here's Matthew King. Sent one in. And I'm going to have him play it. Um. Here we go. This is Matthew King from uh he's a he's a poet uh who lives near Wollaston Lake in Ontario, Canada. You can also find his nature poetry at birdsandbeesandblooms.com, which I checked out and it's excellent p- photography. So, I think I just said nature poetry. His nature photography, that's really excellent. So check it out birdsandbeesandblooms.com. And um here's Matthew King reading Postcard from a Girl line to radio in 1932. i in a nose beater player, yeah. Okay, here we go.
2: Postcard from a girl lying next to a radio in 1932. Paralysis is back. They closed the pool again, the beaches too. I wish I caught it last year. Mom asked Dr. Funk. He thought, you only get it once. Then as a rule, you're immune. I don't know, he's wrong a lot. He told her Alice would be back at school last fall. She still can't even walk. It's cool here mornings, but then holy cow, it's hot. I just lie on the floor sweating all day. Thank God for radio. Say, I'd give Bing a dime or two. That snazzy cat can sing. Miss Georgia Brown, come cool me down. I dream Louie'd take all of me. But if they play alone together one more time, I'll scream.
0: I think that was uh, Matthew King reading his poem, "Postcard from a Girl lying Next to a Radio in 1932. A sonnet, like we uh, suggested in the prompt, and I just love sonnets, so um, that was a lot of fun to hear. Uh, good reading, a good poem. Thanks, Matthew King. And here's one from Carla Schwartz. Um, Carla's a regular uh, contributor to this. I think she writes a poem pretty much every week. And um, here she is with her her next one. This is Germany, nineteen thirty one, nineteen or Germany, thir- Germany, July thirty first, nineteen thirty two. Here's uh, Carla Schwartz reading it.
3: Germany, July 31st, 1932, by Carla Schwartz. The evening was closing over the sunset. The cold dinner served around the table, plus for the baby, pureed vegetables. Seated in her high chair, hand-carved, the baby fiddled with a small wooden rattle while her parents murmured about the election, and 12-year-old Maya drank in the conversation. Then she turned to the radio's soft chatter. Outside their cozy apartment, no neighbors strolled the streets. Maya curled under the radio on the settee, heard Nazi majority, and looked toward her parents, their teeth clenched tight their gaze to the west the sun's final rays swallowed by the night
0: and that was carla schwartz reading germany july 31st 1932 i just love sonnets there's some. there's a way that they click and they just work so perfectly and it makes me happy when it, when a sonnet finishes up uh, carla schwartz who you probably know if you're a, if you're a watcher of the show but she's a poet filmmaker and photographer and blogger. Her books include Intimacy with the Wind from Finishing Line Press. You can find more about her at carlapoet.com. That's Carla with a C. Uh, Or find her on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube at CB99Videos. So thanks so much for sharing that, Carla. Now next week, and hopefully maybe I'll get to write a poem this week. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to hope. I got my fingers crossed. I have, every week I have a poem in my head and then I don't do it. So uh, next week's prompt, is the first word must start with the letter Z. The last word must end with the letter Z. So uh, get out your dictionaries and find a word that starts with Z and let that be your inspiration. That is our prompt for next week, or Megan's prompt for next week. So um, I'm excited to see what you write and what she writes and hopefully what I write because that would be fun (laughs) if I actually did. Um, And uh, there's next week's prompt again. The first word must start with the letter Z. The last word must end with the letter Z. So it's a very open-ended. A lot of times Megan has had um, prompts that, that are sort, sort of theme-based. And, um, and um, you know, you have to pick what you want to do. This time, um, it's very open-ended. So, start, you know, look at a dictionary, start with letter Z, and go wherever that takes you, and then finish with the letter Z. That sounds like a fun one. Um, before we go, I should just say, if you're still watching, please do click the like button. Um, that really helps a lot uh, if you do. And um, wherever you're watching this, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, and um, or not Facebook or Twitter, YouTube or Facebook. And uh, I think I'm going to start broadcasting this on, on uh, Twitter too through Periscope, simulcasting that way too, because I might as well now that I have a really cool computer. Um, yeah, so... Um, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995, and we are unaffiliated with any other organization. Uh, we don't ask uh, for money or anything like that, even though we're a nonprofit. Uh, all we ask is that you enjoy and share poetry, because um, that's one of the really important things that's sort of missing in this world these days. And um, if you like this, um, just, I'm glad. Uh, that's all. That's all I have to say um the next week on the uh, Rattlecast, we have wendy barker um who is a favorite around here with her new book gloss um her other book is one blackbird at a time that came out recently which i just loved about teaching Uh, and this is her new book gloss which i haven't had a chance to read yet but wendy barker is a great poet we published her in about maybe five issues of rattle and um it should be a really fun episode so hope you join us then it's tuesday march 31st same bat time same bat channel 9 p.m eastern and um also we have as always the critique of the week on uh, facebook i think i'm going to stick to just having that on facebook rather than simulcasting it so we can have the comments all in one place but um, we go over a poem every week on facebook and it's a lot of fun and um on sunday now we have the open mic show which is uh, simulcast both on YouTube and Facebook uh, for Poets Respond. So if you write any current events, poems, you can just go to rattle.com slash respond for more information and to read the weekly poems we have there. Um, right now, every single poem in the world is about the coronavirus. Um, but if you wanna write about something else, feel free to and uh, submit it to uh, Poet Respond and join us for the open mic and share it. Even if I, uh, it's not one of the one poems out of um, maybe a thousand this week that I will be selecting. Um, but it's a lot of fun doing the open mic show and I hope you join us for that too, it's even more casual than this if you can believe it Um, but I had a good time on Sunday and I think everybody watching had a good time too so join us then um, at the same place on Sunday 2pm Eastern, 11am now um, I guess that's all for now so have a great week, stay safe I'll see you Friday or Sunday or next Tuesday with uh, Wendy Barker Have a good one. Good night.